Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast brought to you by NMDJ Radio and New Mexico DJ Service. Today's guest is Paul Ferranti, author of 30 Minutes in Memphis, a Beatles story. Okay, Paul Ferranti, great meeting you. This is our first um, conversation together, and um, you uh, wrote a book. Uh, How long ago did you write this book? This book, I believe, uh, was 2017. 2017. Okay. Got great uh, Amazon reviews. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the people, for you know, for the most part, everybody who's read it uh, ha- has really enjoyed it, and it's really gratifying because I don't consider myself a Beatles scholar. Uh-huh. There are a lot, of, lot more scholarly tomes out there, um, but... I've always been a Beatle fan. Right. So, to write this book, I knew I knew that to get into the Beatle world or the the people who enjoy the Beatles, uh-huh. I'm really going to have to be on my toes as far as all the research and stuff I I did for the book because I write um, mostly uh, historical fiction type stories. Right. And this was going to be my one and only Beatle story, although. I've included them in a lot of my other books one way or the other, but this was going to be my Beatles book. So uh, I knew going in that it was going to take a lot of research, but that was part of the real fun because as much as I thought I knew them and as much as I've read about them over the years, and I've read tons of books, right? it was fun going through um, all of the stuff on the Internet 
reading old newspapers, watching uh, parts of different documentaries. Um, the uh, the um, Ron Howard documentary was helpful. Uh, the anthology was helpful. Sure. And uh, a couple of books like uh, Steve Turner's uh, Beatles 66 was great because the book takes place in 66. Right. Uh, there's a, a, a recent biography by, I think, uh, it's Bob Spitz. That was very helpful. So putting all of that stuff together, I researched really for an entire summer. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still teaching at the time, and I knew that in November – I was going to be getting a hip replacement and I was going to be home for six weeks. So I said, let me get everything in order, everything ready to go. And I'll write the book when I'm home. So I researched during the summer. I did the rough outline uh, in the fall. And then in those six weeks in November, starting uh, in November, I I wrote the whole book. And um, once I got going, it just flowed. and, um, And it was so much fun. It really was. Now, um, you said you write, you, you uh, wrote other historical-type books like this. What are the type of uh, books? Well, uh, I'll show you. Um, I've, I've written a whole series of young adult uh, oh. fiction, and these are they're paranormal mysteries, but they're all based on history. Paranormal, so, paranormal history, huh? Yeah, paranormal history. And, cool. As a, lo- as a long-time teacher, I, I know that history is not necessarily the most um, appealing thing to, to young people. Right. And so um, I decided I was going to slip it to them through uh, paranormal mysteries. So in every one of the books, it, they're called the T.J. Jackson Mysteries. Um, wherever the kids are, there are three recurring characters doing it wherever they are doing their paranormal ghost adventure type cool. investigation the the reader's going to learn all about the historical time period that the ghost um, lived in uh, either through the ghost his or herself or just uh you know background history and so in that way uh, i've had the kids go to such diverse places as gettysburg bermuda um and uh cooperstown new york well so uh because i'm also a baseball fanatic and um in the upcoming book actually they're going to the tower of london well so um it's been fun but i've i've managed to weave the beatles into just about every single thing that i've ever written there's only one book I, i i wrote there's no beatles because it's a baseball book that takes place in 1927, and there was no way I was getting them in there. Yeah. But, uh, but in uh, the T.J. Jackson, T.J. himself, and, and the series starts when he's graduating from middle school uh, with, his, with his two buddies. Uh, he's described in the, very, the first time you meet him as um, resembling a, a young Paul McCartney. And he's got a best buddy, Who's, who's kind of a quirky kid named Bortnicker, who is a, a Beatles uh, history trivia savant. And um, so that kind of flows through all of the books. In fact, in, in one of the books, uh, which is called Spirit of, uh, Spirits of the Pirate House, the kids are doing an investigation in Bermuda. And since it's got this whole paranormal vibe going because they're, they're um, looking into the life of a, a, a Bermudian a buccaneer uh, who uh, retired to the island and had his own plantation there. Mm-hmm. I decided that I was going to work in a character uh, who had contact with John Lennon when, when Lennon famously visited the island uh, not too long before his death. Right. And so I made it that the, the kids uh, chauffeur for the week. Uh, an Afro-Bermudian uh, driver named uh, Chappie uh, had become friendly with John and that uh, John, John's spirit anyway, sometimes visits him here and there. And so I worked that all into the plot and that was a lot of fun. Wow, great. Um, so get ha, what, what age group are your books written for primarily? 
Well, uh, the TJ Jackson books are for um, young adult up through teen. Uh-huh. And uh, 30 Minutes in Memphis was, was meant to be more of a teen up through adult. Right. Because uh, it covers a lot of history. Um, if you're a Beatles fan, you're going to love it for the history because I think, you know, because it does track the entire Beatles 1966 tour, that right. final that final tour that they did. Right. And um, the reader will see that the plot of the story alternates between uh, the story of this teenage girl in Memphis, this Marnie Culpepper, and her experiences uh, and trials and tribulations of being a Beatle fan in the South when uh, John Lennon's uh, remarks, you know, set off that yeah. that uh, explosion there of backlash. Now, were you and, were you around at that time period? Were you? Um, yeah, I was in I was in the fifth grade. I was in the fifth grade when that happened. Okay. And, um, I remember. I remember very distinctly uh, being in the second grade when Kennedy was shot, uh-huh. and then a few months later watching the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, as many, many, many other people did. Yeah, and uh, I remember, you know, I was in a Catholic school, so we had a situation where I'm telling you, within a week of the Beatles appearing on the Ed Sullivan show, we had all kinds of new rules and restrictions in our school about the length of hair on boys. Right. Uh, all this kind of stuff, and I had yeah. a lot of old Irish nuns that were that were teaching me. And uh, of course, in the beginning, they thought the Beatles were dirty looking and effeminate, and um, everything that could be possibly bad about them. But you know, by 1965, everybody was kind of used to the Beatles, and everything was going yeah. along. Right? And then in '66, when this happened, this was the opportunity for these same people who had warned us about them in the beginning to come back and say, you see, we told you, you know, there's this heathen Lenin, they kept calling um, this heathen Lenin with his words. Um, So I remember that that period very well, just because it was the opportunity for a lot of the naysayers to come back and say, you know, we told you so. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a place called Helen, New York, which is uh, in Westchester County. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, so okay. From where? I'm, I, I was born in Brooklyn. Grew, okay, grew up. I was in, born in the Bronx. Yeah, my wife was born in the Bronx, and okay, uh, I grew up on Long Island. And um, where on Long Island? Uh, Belmore. Um, I, when uh, after getting married, we lived in Freeport, Baldwin. I used, to, okay. I used to manage a club called My Father's Place on Long Island. I don't know if you remember that. All right. In Roslyn. And we had... Well, every- my- Go ahead. I'm sorry. We had everybody come through that club. It was um, like the bottom line in New York. We were like the sister club. and um, Billy Joel, I would imagine. Well, he used to rehearse in our club. Yeah. He would rehearse in the afternoons in the club. And, um, you know, so yeah, yeah, so he was there a lot and... Um, just everybody, you know, uh, the um, stray cats grew up in that neighborhood, and um, you know, just everybody it was just a melting pot for music. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever see the Beatles? I mean, I know you didn't see them as a group. I'm, I'm assuming, but did you ever see the Beatles um, perform? No, never saw them uh, individually or as a group. Um, I, I saw, <laughs> I've seen the Beach Boys about like fifteen times, I think. Yeah. But uh, never the never the Beatles. Um, uh, and it's something I think I would have loved to have experienced because when I wrote the scenes about them performing, and even the one in Memphis, uh-huh. I just going off just everything I'd seen on video, um, the um, the reviews of the different. Um, concerts right and um since then of course i've made friends through you know in the beatle world with a lot of people who actually did go to these concerts uh, well, in fact uh, one lady uh patty stenman who wrote a wonderful book called uh, confession or diary of a beetle maniac she's a couple of years older than me but she went to see them in philly uh-huh. when he was like 15 years old wow. and she saw them at shea in uh 66 so uh she was able to kind of corroborate 
a lot of the teenage girl stuff that was going on with my character, Marnie, in the book. And it made me feel so good when she told me, you know, Marnie is me, basically. Uh, you know, you for not for not being a woman and not having lived through it as a girl, right. you kind of hit it pretty good as far as the different things she's feeling. And, yeah. and stuff. so that made me feel really great. I saw the Bangladesh concert. I was lucky enough to see that. And I saw Lennon when he played at the one-to-one benefit. Okay. And then I wow. saw, you know, McCartney. You know, I, I worked, I used to manage stadiums and arenas. So I, I worked with McCartney a handful of times. You know, he's come through. And, um, you know, Ringo I've, I've seen in, you know, uh, small theaters and things like that. So I've been lucky enough to see them. And um, one of the most um, disappointing... Well, I'll even go back a little further. I saw Lennon play with the Mothers of Invention at the Fillmore. Mm. So, um, but one of the most disappointing shows I ever saw was John Lennon at the uh, one-to-one thing. He was so um, lethargic and um, just like he didn't, you know, it was kind of like he had to do it, he didn't want to be there type of an attitude. Um, but, um, you know, I'm... I, I, I'm a Beatle lover probably more than anybody else. I mean, I have everything, you know, every bootleg, you know, whatever I get my hands on. So um, I enjoyed reading your book, and um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was just a fun book to to, to get through, and um, you know, I want to you know I want to thank you for writing it because I think kids will get a glimpse of um, just the history of that time. I mean, you, I mean I'm mean, i Jewish, and you toss the Jewish kid in Memphis. Miles! Yes, yes, yes. And I'll, and I'll, uh, um, I'll go back to 10 years ago. I opened up a, um, an account for my company, and I spent a lot of time... I mean, excuse me. I spent a lot of time in um, the Memphis, uh, um, Alabama area, and... Um, their attitude hasn't changed a lot since the 60s. They're still wrapped up in that um, holy, you know, uh, the religion thing. In fact, um, you're from New York. I'm from New York. Um, Are you living in New York now? No, I'm up in uh, Stratford, Connecticut. I also want to mention to you, though, that since 1971, my family's had a little, little cottage out in Jamesport. Oh, okay. At the very end of the LIE, so okay. I've been on quite yeah, a bit. Well, well, I'm in New Mexico now. So, <laughs> okay. So, so um, but, but, but uh, let me go back. Um, you know, I, I, let me just go back. So anyway, I spent time in Alabama. I spent time in, a, you know, in, in that whole, uh, uh, that, you know, that Bible Belt area. And I was, um, the first thing that kind of shocked me was I got off of an airplane and, um, you know, you know, I, I drive to my hotel and I go out for dinner, and I sit down, and everybody in the restaurant is holding hands and praying. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, a, a decade ago. And sure. um, I, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I don't know if we jaded or what, but I've never seen that before. And so somebody, um, you know, I ordered my meal and they served my meal to me, and um, I, I started eating. And the waitress says to me, um, "Are you Christian?" I said, why? She said, because um, I didn't see you um, bless the food. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> You know, it was like, man. Really? She asked you that, huh? And it was, wow. it was like being dropped in. It was like um, being in a uh, time machine. And, you wow. know, and this was a decade ago. And I, didn't t- I wasn't offended by it. Uh, and and, and I, I said to her, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a New Yorker. So right. we don't do that in New York. You know, I didn't want to get into uh, the gories with her, but um, it's interesting. So when I read the book, it brought back those memories. Sure. And, and well, well M- Miles is from a, you know, he's from an actual true synagogue down there that really does exist. Uh-huh. I know there are a few. The whole thing about um, the, the rabbi who was in charge of their place, he was an actual real guy in history, very progressive, um, and so Marnie, Marnie and Miles kind of, kind of drift together because the kids kind of consider Marnie a, a little bit of an oddball, eccentric, right. um, her whole family situation, which isn't great. 
has kind of uh, had an effect on her as well. So she and Miles kind of gravitate toward each other because Miles is one of the only Jewish kids. Well, he's the only Jewish kid in the school. Um, and, um, you know, and, you know, Marnie is, is the kind of person who's accepting uh, of everybody. Um, so she's kind of uh, not the norm for the people in her congregation. And their friendship, I think, is 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 a wonderful one um you know at, at the very end when when you find out that miles has actually gone into um got into you know i don't know what do you, you don't call it the priesthood he's become a he's become a rabbi okay uh, he talks about he talks about his family and how he met his wife yeah the rabbinical school and he, yeah and and he says to he says to Marnie, he says you know she's the love of my life but you're the best friend I ever had. Right. And um, they, they really do have a very, very close friendship. So that's why I started the book with them as adults uh -huh. in the prologue. They meet at the deserted um, uh, Coliseum, uh, Mid-South Coliseum, and it ends, uh, and they end the book together uh, as adults. Yeah, yeah. And it's a wonderful friendship. But, you know, as a teacher... I wasn't just going to write something that didn't have themes and didn't have lessons. You know, this is, it's not only a coming of age story for, for Marnie. It's, it's about, you know, it's believing in your, in your values, standing up for yourself and, and what you believe in, right. uh, being accepting of others, um, listening to their point of view as a teacher. I, I in all my books, there are themes that I would love to get a, a, across to young people. And I would think in the story of Marnie, uh, you know, as, as well as the whole Lenin thing, you know, it, it, the whole idea of being able to express yourself and have a dialogue going uh, with, without being, uh, you know, hounded for it and um, called out for it. So um, I thought the story of Marnie and, and Lenin's own problems there went well together yes um do you plan on writing any other books in this series with marnie is there anything else gee uh, I, I don't know I, I was kind of thinking marnie was a marnie was a one-off I, yeah I, I like the way i told the story uh however the the beatles thing does go on as a matter of fact i'll give you a, i'll give you a little heads up in the 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 sixth tj jackson book which is going to come out in the summer, as I mentioned to you, they're doing an investigation at the Tower of London. Right. And so by this time, the kids are just about to graduate from high school. Uh -huh. um, because when the, when the series started, they're, they're just graduating from middle school. And they've got their own cable show and they're kind of cable celebrities by now, ghost hunting celebrities. So they're, uh, they're commissioned by the Queen to do uh, an investigation in the Tower of London because there's all kinds of shenanigans going on in there. But my favorite scene in the book, or one of them, is uh, at the insistence of Bortnicker, who is, like I said, the Beatles savant, and um, who actually made contact with John Spirit uh -huh. on the island of Bermuda while they were doing their investigation. Um, at the insistence of Bortnicker, they take a side trip to Liverpool uh -huh. and they do the whole the Liverpool tour and they end up in the Cavern Club and that's where a lot of these tours do end up anyway and so of course I had a, having never been there I had to watch videos of people who visited and etc cetera, etc cetera. so they're in the Cavern Club I don't you I'll, t I'll tell you this little story quickly so he excuses himself to go to the men's room. And so he goes into the men's room, and he's this geeky, weird kind of kid. He's very, very quirky. But he goes in there, and it's, it's all quiet in there, and he goes to the bathroom, and he's washing his hands, and he looks in the mirror, and behind him, standing against this wall, is this guy who's a dead ringer for John. Okay, he's, he's got like a, the circa 1965 Beatle outfit. He's got a turtleneck on. He's got a dark suit. He's got the hair. He's got everything. And so um, he turns around and he says, oh, you startled me. He said, um, 
he said, he said, uh, are, are you appearing here? Because he thought he was like one of the not was one of the tribute bands. He says, are you appearing here? And uh, the Lennon character says, well, it appears I am. And which I thought was something John would say. And he says, um, he said, you know, I was, I was going to tell you, I was going to quote that line from Hard Day's Night when I was going to say, you look just like him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the stairwell with the lady. Sure. And so the ghost says to him, uh, oh, yeah, that, that, that cheeky John, he's, he's very witty. Um, and then the ghost says to Bortnicker, so he goes, so when was the last time we talked? Was it Bermuda? Well, and he realizes, holy, yeah. you know, I'm not only hearing him in my ear like I did in Bermuda, I'm actually seeing him. Well, well, John, the, the ghost says, so what do I look like? And he goes, he says, because, you know, I can't tell myself. And he goes, well, you kind of look like around 1965, you know. Oh, he goes, well, I, you know, I, I figured I would appear to you as you most would like to see me. So I guess you are a mop top fan. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you two great uh, John Lennon um, bathroom stories. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, one was told to me by um, a, a guy named Hamill on trial. He's an artist. He's a, he's, he actually wrote a song about it. Um, he went to see, he, um, Yoko had an art show upstate New York. So her and John went, you know, obviously up to, to um, you know, to, to, to do the gallery thing. And um, Hamill um, goes to the restroom, and there's Lennon. And he bumps into him, and Lennon says to him, this guy was like, uh, he couldn't wait to, you know, to get there. He was hoping Lennon would be. Anyway, he runs into him in the bathroom, and he bangs into him by mistake. And Lennon just says to him, F off, you asshole. <laughs> and he, he said his whole, his whole balloon got, you know, deflated. But here's another story. And um, Artie Kornfeld, who was the man who uh, started Woodstock. Okay, it was Artie Kornfeld and Michael Lang. They were the brains behind Woodstock. Artie's a, a good friend of mine. Anyway, um, I could tell the story because Artie told it on my radio show. Um, Artie has a cocaine problem at the time. And um, he goes to the restroom at the record plant, the, the, the studio, and um, he put out a couple of lines, and he bends over to a snort, and all of a sudden his leg gets wet. And he turns around, and there's John Lennon urinating on his leg. <laughs> and so Artie says, what's going on? And Lennon says to him, I'm sorry, mate, but I can't see a thing without my glasses. And uh, they became good friends, and they was you know they were friends till the end of Lennon's life. So be f you could use either one of those in your book next time. <laughs> oh, that, that's 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 pretty funny. I mean, I, I love the scene, and while they're talking to each other, this other guy comes in, and he's got like he's he's like a seventy year old, a sixty five year old guy, you know, and he's got like a yellow submarine T shirt in, and he blows right by the both of them. Yeah, and he he doesn't see John. But he sees Bortnicker, and he comes in, and he just washes his hands and goes out, you know. And he's like, Bortnicker's like, "How come I can see you and he can't see you?" And he goes, "Well, it's your friend, your friend TJ, who is a what they call a sensitive. Yeah, he's got to be around for me to show up. He's kind of like he's kind of like an antenna. Yeah, you know, you need him around for me to show up. And so, uh, so John says, uh, so I hear you're." Uh, you're uh, doing a little uh, work for the queen, for the, for, for the queen. Oh, yeah. You know, Tower of London, you know. And John says, so what's in it for you? And he goes, I don't know. The kid goes, I don't know. You know, maybe we'll get a medal or something. And John goes, oh, yeah, we got one of those. I gave mine back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's a, fun, it's a fun scene. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of history in it. And I love the way that you um, intertwine history with fact. You know, I mean, you know, uh, you know, fiction and nonfiction, how it kind of becomes one. Um, so, are you? Do you find? Do you consider yourself a Beatle? Uh, not a, not an aficionado, but do you love them? Do you know their albums and everything like that? Do you? Oh yeah, I, I mean, I've got I've got all the albums. Uh, some uh, some of them from when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I you know every day when I'm 
car and listening to the Beatles station on Sirius. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime there's anything about them that comes out as far as a documentary or whatever, I'm on it. Um, I, I've read at least a half dozen biographies on all of them, except for Ringo. There aren't that many out there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a real fan, but I'm, I think I could kind of hold my own talking. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? What book was fascinating about Ringo. Uh, Ringo's White Album. Did you ever read that book? No. Check no. it out. It's how um, the White Album would have been a, cat- a catastrophe if Ringo wasn't the type of drummer he was. He was able to. You know, there was folk there, there was country music there, there was electronic music in there, there was just everything. But I ask this question to everybody because I don't think you could be a um, uh, a modern-day music lover, a rock music lover, without um, having a base to the Beatles somewhere. And I I was talking to uh, Anil Prasad on um, Saturday, just a couple of days ago. He's... um, like one of the top six music journalists in the world, um, he has a pod. He has a um, not a podcast, but he his uh, interviews in interviews, and he has thousands of uh, um, interviews that he's done over the years. He was the first person to start doing um, uh, music interviews online back in the nineties. Um, so I was talking to him about it too, and we kind of agreed that um, you can't be a music lover without having some connection to the Beatles because um, let's face it, they're the Beatles, right? Right. Um, What's your... One other other thing that that I wanted to mention is that it's historical fiction, but what I didn't want it to be is what they call fan fiction. I, I didn't want it to go off on a tangent where you... I was very careful to not have the Beatles do or right. say anything that they actually did in real life. I didn't want to put words in their mouths. I didn't want to come up with scenarios uh, that really could never have happened. I, right. I didn't want it to be f- fantasy in any way. So whatever they say in the book... Um, you know, like when, when they're landing in Memphis or whatever, and George says, you know, tell John to, tell John to get off the plane first. Yeah. Him yeah. You know, stuff like that. There's only one little dream sequence when Marnie is having a dream the night before the concert, and she's sitting down with the four of them while they're, while they're uh, you know, just working on a song or something like uh-huh. that. Outside of that, I didn't. I didn't stray well, at all. Okay. Well, the, the question I was getting at too is, um, what do you think their most important album was? I ask everybody this. I'm going to ask everybody this week, whoever is involved with this Beatle Week with us, what album do you think was their most, um, pretty much telling album? Which is the album that kind of separated them from mm. everybody else? from everybody else well i think the one that separate them separated them from everybody else was sergeant pepper just because it was just it was incredibly different but for me the sweet spot for me for the beatles is 65 and 66 so rubber soul and revolver i think revolver they were starting to, they were making the turn perfect that's mine and um they were making the turn and it's funny because, you know, I went through, I don't know if you know the, this story, but I went through a title change in oh. this book that you read. Okay. And, and um, when I was changing the title to 30 Minutes in Memphis, uh, it, well, it's a, fu- it's a funny story. I'll, I'll tell you real quick. So originally this, I wanted to make a splash with this. I wanted to make a real statement. Right. And my who's an artist she designed the cover and so you had you have the cover well you know this is 30 minutes in memphis you know okay so originally i called it the beatles must die right and it was the same exact cover only over the silhouette type of picture of john was like a little crosshairs right because actually there were death threats on their life for that concert. Yeah. I mean, the yep, KK, yep, every, yep, you yep. know. 
So I thought this would be, you know. So I sent it out to a few people. And one of the people I sent it out to was John's sister, Julia Baird. Well. Okay. So she emails me. She says, I, I, I loved it. I, I read it in one sitting. I'm going to contact you. We'll talk about it. Right. And I'm like, oh, all right. So she calls me on uh, Veterans Day, um, Veterans Day 2017, I guess it is. And I'm, I'm at school because mm-hmm. I'm working. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. My wife's home from work because she's not working. Right. Ring, 7 o'clock. She picks it up. She's ticked off. She thinks it's me. I forgot my lunch or something. And it's like, oh, is Paul there? And, I'm, and she's like, no, who is this? Oh, it's Julia Baird, you know, John Lennon's sister. Wow. And my wife was like, what? Wow. And ended up chatting for like 20 minutes, beautiful chat. And she says, you know, I, I want to talk to him about the book. Tell Paul that I'll call him later on in, in, the, in the week. So sure enough, a few days later, she calls me. We're having dinner. Great. We have a wonderful talk. She said, I loved it. You were spot on with all the history. You don't know how terrified my brother was of, of going to Memphis that time. Um, I, I loved everything. She said, I couldn't stop reading it. I told my assistant to go out and make me a pot of tea. I, I locked myself in my office. I read the whole thing. Wow. So I'm just, I'm just like sky high yeah. and to the very end and she goes but you know Paul <laughs> I'm like oh no she says you know there are a lot of people who are still mourning my brother's death right and I would hate to have a book that is so good um, put off people because maybe they think the title or the image on the on the on the cover is a little is a bit much mm-hmm. she goes just something to think about <laughs> and i was yeah, like oh. yeah, yeah. i said so i went to sleep that night i woke up the next morning i tossed and turned i woke up i told my wife we're changing it we're changing the title we're changing the cover and you can do this when you have a self-pub book which sure, is sure. the first book i ever self-pub so my i got a hold of my sister i said you know we're going to do a change on the cover yeah not a problem so and then I had to come up with a title. So I emailed Julia Baird and I said, listen, I'm changing the title. And she said, well, if I could be of any assistance, let me know. So I started running titles by her. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first thing I come up with, because you read the book, it's a big deal in the book is, and this is where I they made the turn. Mm-hmm. So I said, how about this? How about if I call it Tomorrow Never Knows? And she goes, I think that might have been taken already. Yeah, so yeah. I go on Amazon and there's like two or three tomorrow yeah. knows. So then I said, all right. So then I kind of, what am I going to name this book? I said, 30 minutes in Memphis. Number one, it's alliterative. Right. Two, that's how long they used to play for. Right. To be on for about a half an hour. Right. The Memphis concert, I believe the evening concert was 28 minutes. Right. So I said, all right, it's going to be 30 minutes of Memphis. I get back to her. What do you think of this? She goes, that's good, but I don't know if it identifies as a Beatles story with people. I said, how about 30 minutes in Memphis? These are in emails that are going back and forth. How about 30 minutes in Memphis, a Beatles story? And she emails me back with one word, Eureka. Yeah. And that's how I got the title. Great title. It is a great title. And... um well, so you said revolver. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's mine. I, I think it's revolver because, um, especially Lennon, uh, his mind was just so out there at, when that album came out. Tomorrow Never Knows, she said. Um, he had some uh, masterpieces. I think they gave away the, um, for lack of a better f- term, the boy band image. Right. And they became artists. They became, they gave, first of all, they gave themselves the permission to do whatever they thought was necessary for music. But they gave every band listening to the Beatles the same, you know, good vibrations. You wouldn't have had any of that stuff, I I don't think, without Revolver. Um, It just kind of opened up everybody's mind at the time. 
And, um, you know, Sgt. Pep is a great album. They're, they're all great albums. You know, there's not a bad album in the mix. But Revolver is, I think, the uh, pinnacle of where they're, you know, I don't know if it's the drugs they were taking or just the time period, the fact that they weren't touring anymore for a while. Uh, they became a studio band. They knew how to work in the studio. But that's the album, I think, that separated them from even the Beatles. You know, it was a, it was a whole new, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't like a four-piece thing anymore. It, it became just so, boom, it was just so open. And um, I think, um, you know, especially Lennon-McCartney at that point, uh, kind of separated. They weren't a unit as much as they were. Lennon did his thing. You still had, you know, I always considered Paul McCartney to be a little fluffier, you know, a little prettier, you know, pops, popsier. He did his pop stuff on that album. In fact, um, Here, There, and Everywhere is on that album. Right. And that was my wedding song. That's the, That was our first, yeah, that was the song we picked. But um, Lennon was um, just so out there at the time that... Um, I just think that's the album that did it for them, you know. How about solo work? What, what do you consider the most important Beatles solo album? Solo album, oh, boy. Mm, 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 mm. Well, I'm not really into their solo albums as much as I have my favorite songs, my favorite solo songs that they all did. Sure, like. Uh, you know, and I, I guess because it just reflects the way I used to feel at work a lot of the times. I mean, my favorite Lennon song is Watching the Wheels. I okay. mean, because I just, I just love the whole idea. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, Paul, you know, a lot of people love the, the band, on, you know, Band on the yeah, Run album. I think, you know, I, you know, I think it's I think it's good uh, as as a, an entire album. But um, there are uh, there are songs that um, that I think are are just that you know one here one there. Yeah. I, the quality of his albums really kind of fluctuated, and as yes. a lot of people say, I think it was because probably he didn't have that other you know that you know he had the uh, people on both shoulders. You know, John well, was always on the shoulder, and well, he didn't. Have John there to say, hey, hey, you know that that that's that's crap. Come I know. Well, I, I'm I'm going to toss you a, a curveball. All things must pass is the greatest solo Beatle album, in my opinion. Okay, there's some great there's some great stuff. I think that's the only Beatle solo yeah. album you could listen to from start to finish. It was yeah. a triple album. Even the jams on that were incredible. But Harrison was sitting on a powder keg of music that. You know, he was allowed two tunes on an album. Yeah. And he had a back catalog of stuff. And and, and in my opinion, um, the further away from 69, all four of them got, the weaker the material became. Yeah. You know. But if it is, if they ever got together to do a concert of their solo stuff, what, are, you know, what, and they had to fill, let's say, an hour. Yeah. Songs would be chosen from each of their solo albums. Which songs would the other guys want to play on? I know. You know, it, it, it's a good. It's a good what if. Yeah. Well, it's it's the White Album. Right? Yeah. It, basically. It, yeah, it's the White Album in the future, and there's so many books out there um, um, about that, about the Lost Beatle albums. You know, picking a tune from each album that uh, you know a couple of tunes from the solo stuff. And putting uh -huh. it together as a Beatle thing. And it's, just, it's amazing how, how some people think, you know, everybody's their own uh, take on it. But it's definitely, definitely an interesting um, perspective on their music. So, um, first of all, I have to uh, tell my grandson about your books. I have two grandkids. Actually, I have four, but two that live with me. Uh, one's 11. I think those paranormal books, I just like right in his sweet spot now. I think he'd really get into that stuff because you know he, he, you know Harry Potter and this and that, sure. um, and um, you have to write some paranormal books that have some sex in them so my wife could read them. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the the company I'm with, the company I'm with, uh, which is Fire and Ice Books. Uh -huh. They're 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 in Minnesota. Okay? okay, White. I think it's White Bear, Minnesota. Uh -huh. 
you know, you go through the process of sending books in or sending manuscripts in, getting rejections, this, that, and the other thing. So I finally got this company, and this is back in like 2012. And so my editor, who st she's still my editor there today for when I do books with them. She said, the first thing she said to me, she goes, just one thing you got to do for me. And I said, what? And she goes, got to take the swearing out. <laughs> yeah. So okay. there, cause there, was little, there was a little swearing in there. And then, so these books, they got no, you know, they got, a, you know, kisses and stuff like that. But they got no sex, uh, no gratuitous sex violence or, or uh, bad language. So, <laughs> They're, they're really good for, you know, uh, middle school kids up into, up into uh, high school. And, but, okay. you know, I've, but then again, I've had adults read them and, and just like them for the history they learned from them. You know, like in the Bermuda book, you learn all about piracy, what it was really like, not the, the Johnny Depp version. Sure. Uh, Gettysburg book, you learn about the Battle of Gettysburg. There's one that takes place actually in TJ's hometown, which is where I used to live in, Fair, in Fairfield, Connecticut, where we had, um, it's called Curse of the Fairfield Witch. And we had witchcraft trials in Fairfield way before Salem. Right. So you learn all about the witchcraft trials in the, in the uh, Cooperstown books called Roberto's Return. It's based around the ghost of Roberto Clemente coming back to, uh, to Cooperstown. So you learn all about Clemente because I thought, he was a, a person who's not played up as much as Jackie Robinson, who I adore, but I wanted kids to learn about Roberto Clemente. Sure. And in the book that's coming out, the Tower of London book, it kind of centers around uh, the story of uh, the, young, the young princes who were supposedly murdered in the, in the Tower of London uh, so that uh, they wouldn't uh, ascend to the throne. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of history but it's it's very kind of young kid friendly uh, uh -huh. i just didn't feel that and i agree you know you there's stuff that you can do without saying you know swearing and sure. stuff like so, you, you know so, now in other books i've read i've written <laughs> you know okay so here's here's something else for your here's something else for your trivia books for your history who turned the beatles down on decca do you know his name dick Rowe. dick Rowe is the man who turned him down dick Oh. And you know, who, and it, there was two bands that auditioned that day. The second band got the contract. The Beatles were turned down. The, the band was Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Oh, really? They've gone far, huh? <laughs> the Tremolos, okay. <laughs> yeah, Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Because back then, you had to have um, like a, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers. That had to be and the, you know. Yeah, like the Beatles, you know, they Decca said to the Beatles, "We think guitar bands are on their way out." That's what they told uh, the Beatles. But um, yeah, Brian Poole got the deal that day, and uh, the Beatles obviously, you know, it was um, probably the best thing that could happen to them. They wound up at you know with uh, EMI, and uh, they wound right. up at Abbey Road, and they wound mm -hmm. up with George Martin, and you know the rest, as they say, is history. But uh, because the Beatles were turned down, the Rolling Stones were grabbed like that when they went right. to Decca, and they got the Decca deal. Well, the the Beatles just just opened the floodgates, really. I mean, you yeah. know, and as I used to tell my kids at school, we used to spend we used to spend a whole week uh -huh. during the year because you know I was an English teacher, right? And I'd take a whole week during my poetry unit, and we would just do the Beatles, right? And we watch videos, we would have the lyrics. Just to show them how things changed so rapidly over time, and it was, but it was also me telling them stories about the '60s and what was going on, and Kennedy and right. Vietnam, and and they just they just loved all that stuff. Right. Uh, I and you know I've since learned that you know uh, I, I did a, a podcast uh, with a couple of guys uh, in Boston, one of whom actually teaches a course. Uh -huh. a, course in the Beatles. Who is I that? Mean, is that um, um, um that David Gallant? Oh, I thought Womack. Kenny Womack. Uh, his name is David Gallant. Okay. He's at um, he's at um, oh the name of the uh, the, the racetrack uh, Suffolk. Okay. Suffolk University in Boston. 
and he actually teaches a course in that. I mean, yeah. what a great gig that would be. You know, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah. got to, I had to beg to let them, you know, the powers that be to let me do a week with the kids, and they loved it. They would be walking through the hall singing the songs, going out and buying the records. Uh, I mean, the records, the CDs at that time. Right. Um, and just the most fun, just the most fun teaching the Beatles to kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kenny Womack wrote a book. Um, uh, uh, it just came out uh, in October um, about um, the last days of Lennon. I did a couple of podcasts with him. He teaches, I thought, university he teaches in, but um, I believe they have all of um, Billy Joel's material at that college. He donated oh. all of his, um, you know, whatever. Or, or Paul Simon's, one of them, is up there with uh, Kenny. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I would love to see you do uh, maybe, God, something like like a part two of this book because it was it was a fun book to read. I know it was, you know, it, it, it wasn't, you. Um, you know, I, I sat there at first, no... I, I didn't know. I didn't realize when I first got the book that it was wasn't all that it wasn't a nonfiction book, because that's usually what everybody sends me nonfiction books, biographies, right. things like that. And when I started reading it, I said to well, this is this is really fun. This is like a whole different aspect on, um, you know, uh, just on, on the whole telling of the story. And I was really happy because, you know, the books I read, a lot of them are like reading a textbook. You know, it's like, you know, it, it's great information. It's real interesting. And um, in fact, uh, um, uh, Harvey Kubernick, do you hear of Harvey? Harvey's written yeah. tons of great music books. He's doing one on Bangladesh now. And um, um, I'm going to be doing, um, I went to the concert. So I'll be doing a couple of, uh, 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 like a chapter with him about the concert you know he's, he's doing it you know just leading up to it and everything else about actually being there because there's not too many people of us still around who've been to that show and um if did you, did you ever see the movie bangladesh yes okay yeah. do you remember they do bangladesh at the end and they kind of cut and it's the end of the movie mm-hmm. but what happened um and uh, you know i was a kid and uh 69 no it was uh yeah, about 70 so I was 15, I think, when I went to the show. But I remember it was the greatest ending of a show I ever saw. The band goes into Bangladesh. That's the last tune of the night. And um, George puts down his um, Strat. His, he had that beautiful white Stratocaster. He puts it down and he walks off. And the band's playing. Ringo follows him. Eric Clapton follows him. Um, uh, Leon Russell follows him. And uh, Billy Preston which was pretty much the core of the big boys. And the rest of the band is, plays another 10 minutes of Bangladesh. They just keep playing, you know, they just keep going and going until one by one they all kind of leave and it's over. It was the greatest ending to any show I ever saw. And um, I'm so sorry they cut that out of the movie because I thought it was like one of the highlights of the show. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I'm going to be talking to um, um, Harvey about that. So, um, you know, I kind of feel... The love for the Beatles. Uh, that was the first Beatle I ever saw. You know, it was. Um, you know, I never saw any of them prior to that. I saw the Rolling Stones prior to that, but I never saw any of the Beatles. And um, Harrison, who was the Quiet Guy, I think. Um, you know, he did the first Benefit show, pretty much. I don't think there's any other. You know, that was the first musical Benefit thing. And um, I think from that point forward, he kind of became my. Uh, you know, if, if if I was a fourteen year old girl, I'd have a I love George pin on, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and you brought that out in the book. That's that's that was the time. That was the era. And um you know, uh you know, I, I remember those days. America needed a little uh, um uplifting. You know, Kennedy sure. was assassinated, it was just a bleak yeah. time in America. You had the um you know, uh the communists were taking over America. It was you know, it was just a creepy time to be um you know, I was a kid, I didn't get it all at the time but looking back at it it was pretty messy i mean you know, i remember the uh, missile crisis i remember that night i was i was a little kid living in brooklyn in in the projects uh, on rockaway in, in uh, canarsie and mm-hmm. um i remember everybody's lights were on all night people were you know people weren't sleeping they thought that was the end of the world and uh, so i remember the beatles coming in and i remember it was a whole it kind of went from the wizard of oz when it was black and white into color 
Sure. And that's what the yeah. Beatles brought, I think. And um, well, there, there's that scene in the book. In in the in the book, uh, Marnie's mother has walks out on her and her father. Her father is a Korean War veteran who yep. suffers what we today yeah, call yeah. PTSD. And, you know, he's got his mood swings and everything. He's also a sergeant on the Memphis police force, very straight-laced guy. And so it's Marnie and her dad. The, the mother walks out on them uh, the weekend of the Kennedy uh, funeral. Yeah. Okay. And so now it's just her and her father. and They have a housekeeper, a, a black lady, who's a wonderful character, Tilly. So the Beatles are, that's all she has to hold on to right now. Yeah. I mean, she's holding on for dear life, basically. Yes. And um, she's got this whole, you know, her whole room is a Beatles shrine. She gets her friend Miles, who's very um, technically inclined to rig up this whole kind of sound system in her room with a yep. turntable. So yep. that, that first scene where she wakes up in the morning and her hair's all in her eyes, she reaches out to her night table and just feels around and then hits this button, which is almost like if you ever saw Pee-wee's Big Adventure, it's kind yeah, of this yeah, 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 yeah. where uh, eventually uh, this Rube Goldberg thing ends up with a needle going down onto the album and starting her day with the Beatles. Um, she's, she's really the, uh, the, the quintessential teenage, you know, yeah. female, you know, fan of the time. Yeah, well, I uh, I had a basement when I was a kid um, when we moved to uh, Queens, and uh, the basement was pretty much mine. And I had Beatle things on all my walls, and you know, th then the White Album came out, had the big poster in it. Sure. And uh, you know, it was just, um, you know, it, it was just the t you know it was just the times, and it was just they were such a. You, you're talking about the teen magazines. Sure. You know, 16, I remember 16, Teen Beat, uh, Tiger, or whatever it was. Tiger Beat. Yeah, Tiger Beat. Um, yeah. um, Danny Feld, uh, who, who later went on to manage uh, the Stooges and everything, was, I think, the uh, editor of uh, uh, Tiger Beat. Um, mm -hmm. It was just a great time. It was just, just a whole different... Um, it was fun. Yeah. You know, in the book, that, that day where she's sitting there, she's... She's sitting there having her breakfast, and it's a mopey day. Her father's already at work. She's there with the housekeeper. The housekeeper's got the transistor radio on. Yep. And all of a sudden, the Beatles come on, and she just stops. And she says to her, turn that up, turn that up. And the, the housekeeper, she's like, what in the world? And, she, and it just hits her. Yep. It's uplifting. It's positive. Yep. It's everything we wanted at that time in history yeah they were they were they were they um it, it was four guys who just kind of were at the right place at the right time yeah um you know you couldn't um they they lived in the same you know they lived in the same area it was yeah. just perfect it was just like a perfect blending and um i don't know if it's ever going to happen again you know it, it's like lightning this lightning hit twice it was just, you know, it was just four guys who were just gelled, made it all happen. There were no mistakes. You know, by the time we got to see them, the, the mistakes were through. They went through their learning curves. There was, you know, um, it, you know, it was just the right formula for the right time. Um, yep. Cap Capital Records was very good to them. EMI, you know, they were really, really good to them. Um they let them do what they had to do. The stories of Lennon doing um, "Twist and Shout" with with a rip, with rip with a rip, you know, his his voice was shot. It was the last, you know, he he screamed it out and then he passed out. With his out. shirt off, yeah, sweating, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. feverish, he, feverish, and, yeah. yeah. You know, he passed out. Whatever happened after that, and um, you know, they just did everything. It just happened. You know, everything happened perfectly. They had George Martin. You know, another producer, they had, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Hurricane Smith, uh, Norman Smith, as an engineer for the first, you know, right up to Rubber Soul, I think. And uh, he was a genius, you know, behind the boards. They, everything worked out perfectly for them. There couldn't have been, you know, if, if, if one thing was missing, you don't know how it would have turned out. Right. If Martin wasn't their producer, if if uh, Norm Smith wasn't their engineer, if you know they weren't at Abbey Road, you know if they wound up at another, if Decca got them, 
it would have been a whole different story, and they could have been like Brian Poole and the Tremolos. Right. But it, well, what I used to tell my kids at school when we were doing that that mini unit, I used to tell them, guys, the music is great, and it, the music will never die. I said, but it's also a great story. Yeah. It's like a story. It's yeah. a great story. And the music gets better every yeah. time you listen to it. It's not like, you know, it's like the other bands that, you know, a lot of them have come and gone. I'm a very good friend of Zoot, uh, George Money. Zoot, you remember Zoot Money's big roll band? He, he started out when the Beatles started out. And he was pretty popular in England. He's one of the first B3 players, you know, Hammond B3s. And I'm really friendly with Zoot. I speak to him often. And um, he's still out there working. You know, he, he, had, he went a different route. And, and uh, so a lot of these guys are still out there. They're still doing what they do, but nobody knows them. Mm-hmm. And sure. and they, they they you know they all kind of crisscrossed. He told me they used to, um, you know, obviously it's pre-internet, pre-cell phones. He said they used to travel in England, and they would go. To, there'd be this one big gas station stop in the middle of the throughways and highways, and they'd all wind up there like two, three in the morning after gigs, and the Beatles would be there. You know, the Stones would be there. They'd all wind up at the same place at the same time. You know, after gigs in the middle of the night in England, you know, heading home. And I always got the impression that the Beatles were these very um, appreciative of other acts, yeah. other genres, um, that they always, it seemed to me, um, treated well uh, the people who toured with them, all the opening acts that they... I mean, these people were going to not get booed off the stage, but they, let's face it, the kids were there to to yeah. see the beat but they also idolized they also idolized um the black entertainers oh yeah the, Mot- the motown you know chuck berry yeah the, the, you know julia uh, baird told i don't me. know if you remember uh, uh um john lennon hosted uh the mike douglas show douglas show of all people mike Douglas, but he was a straight lace and vanilla as you can imagine but he had chuck berry on yeah, chuck berry yeah 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 and um but what I'm getting at, Lennon wasn't good to everybody. He loved everybody except the Beatles. You know, he, he had that, uh, you know, he, he was sarcastic. He was he was a bitter. Do you ever hear the Ringo Starr story? Somebody once asked him in an interview, is Ringo one of the best, is Ringo um, one of the greatest drummers in rock? And he said, not you can't. Not even the best in the band. Yeah, he said, you know, he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. You know, so that that was Lennon. I don't, and that story may not even be true, but that's, you know, that's, that's an urban legend. But he... He pretty much was a, a tough guy to deal with. Whoever you talk to will tell you that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they embraced. And, and he never got a chance to mellow with age. Um, a- well, he actually did, I believe. I believe once he got back to New York. Because um, I'll tell you a story. I started working in the music business um, back in the mid-'70s, I guess. Late, Yeah, anyway, um, I was working with a band. It was a pretty big band. Um and we were putting together, <coughs> excuse me, we were auditioning people. And um, some of the Elephant Memory guys came in. This was after, This was prior to, Lennon was still around at the time. He, it, was, it was before he was, um, you know, uh, assassinated. Anyway, um, some of the Elephant Memory guys came in auditioning for this band. <coughs> and um, we were talking to them. They, they knew they weren't going to make the band. They just wanted to play with some of the members that were already there with us. And they, they just came in for the heck of it. And they were talking about Lennon, that he was, you know, he really, really was a nice guy to them. And, um, you know, so I think, he's, I think once he got to New York, he kind of changed, you know, maybe after the Lost Weekend stuff, whatever it was, he kind of yeah. did mellow out. And I think um, uh, the stories that I got, though, and I believe they're true, is that... Um, he left Yoko. Even during the double fantasy phase, he wasn't living with her. He was living with May Pang. And they were living in the uh, Dakota. He had his own apartment. They, had a, mm-hmm. they owned a couple of floors in the Dakota. And him and May Pang were living a separate life from Yoko. And uh, they would, whenever he went out the front of the Dakota, he'd go out with Yoko because that's where all you know, the paparazzi were. But he right. was living with May Pang. And the night he was killed... He was actually living with May Pang, but the, um, the record company wanted him and Yoko to look like they had the appearance so they could sell the album. Right. So I think he did kind of find what he was looking for at the end. I mean, I hope so anyway. 
Well, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcasts, brought to you by NMDJ Radio and New Mexico DJ Service. We can be contacted at nmdjradio at gmail.com. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.